In the wake of the COVID-19 pandemic, those under social distancing measures are trying to find ways to adjust to a new normal. For many of us, that mostly means gorging on carbs and DIY haircuts. Humans are hardwired to seek comfort and control in moments of need, after all. But why are we so drawn to carbo-load in times of crisis? And how did your hair manage to grow into its own life force in just a matter of weeks? It all comes down to how humans cope. Whether you choose to change your hair or have an extra helping of pasta, reframing lockdown with a few changes can seriously alleviate your stress. Welcome to the Abstract Podcast from Inverse. I'm Tanya Bustos, your host. Our first story is about your hair. Have you seen it lately? There comes a time in every person's quarantine where they're faced with the inevitable haircut question. For those tempted to take control and go to town with a pair of scissors, some essential DIY tips can help. Taking control of a tough situation, and let's be honest, your current hair may qualify, can be a show of resilience and can reduce stress. If the thought of wrestling back control over your own life may have grown into an overwhelming urge, it may be time for a quarantine haircut. What could possibly go wrong? Our second story looks at another quarantine coping mechanism, comfort food. In many cases, that means cake, pasta, bread, and other so-called carbs. But why are humans so drawn to eat carbohydrates in these times of crisis? According to experts, there are key psychological and physiological reasons why you're turning to mac and cheese when everything seems to be going awry. This is The Abstract, a look at the latest scientific discoveries and technology innovations from the reporters at Inverse. In each episode, we explore a single theme through two different stories. Up now, your DIY guide to surviving a quarantine haircut. Oh no, it's happening. It's getting poofy. We have a lockdown situation going on. I'm going to cut my own hair. My hair is not really up to par, but I'm going to give myself a haircut. Okay, I'm going to get you fun. Get me fun. Get me cute. You ready? Oh my God. Oprah's partner, Stedman Graham, gives his first quarantine haircut. Blake Shelton went for a mullet with a little help from Gwen. Yeah, I'm going to be uh, helping Blake grow out his mullet. Today, we had already scheduled that it was haircut day. Pink. She was trying to cut her own hair. Apparently, she had something to drink. When I drink, I get really, really brilliant ideas. I can cut hair. What do you think? Oh, my gosh. Yeah, that looks good. Okay. That's how girls create bangs. Who doesn't want to look like Christmas? And it's all going to be I don't one want bangs. I'm starting to really need a haircut and a shave. In this video, I'm going to be giving myself a haircut. As you guys see, I'm looking super bad. At a certain point in any self-imposed quarantine, the hair issue rears its ugly, sometimes unkempt, root-rocking head. It just keeps growing. And you're left with a couple of options. Some choose to buck the trend in some kind of show of liberation. They're letting their hair grow out proudly and embracing a new influx of gray. Others are left desperately trying to figure out how to take matters and scissors into their own hands without essentially ruining their entire lives with scissors and their own hands. Not such a simple task for the rest of the masses, because for many of us, hair is more than styled strands of dead cells. For thousands of years, hair has been a marker of identity and form of expression tied up with gender, sexuality, and class norms. It's why you cried after that bad dye job or felt overly confident on that good hair day. It's also why you may have waited this long before taking the DIY haircut plunge. One bad haircut and you're messing with who you are. Yet, YouTube alone is filled with DIY haircut tutorials coaxing us to do it yourself. It's easy. But here's a reminder of what it sounds like when things go wrong. I 
can't even look at myself and have any kind of dignity. I look like a pineapple. The stakes can get quite high when rolling the hair dice. While some experts suggest it may be better to give your hair a break instead of cutting it yourself, the temptation to tame that unruly force emerging from your head may prove to be too much sooner or later. So, if you're tempted to just take total control and go to town with a pair of scissors, Inverse's Ali Patillo is joining us now with how to proceed with caution. Ali, how's it going? Hi, Tanya. So, um, first, let me ask you. I haven't gotten there yet, but I get this um, emotional roller coaster, and even considering this prospect, um, the heart to heart <laughs> you have to have with yourself. Do I take matters into my own hands and make it worse, or do I not? Have you had the personal? We'll get into what you wrote about, but I'm just curious if you had any personal experience thus far. I mean, I've definitely been tempted after like a breakup or something emotional to cut my hair. Um, in quarantine, I haven't quite gotten there, but I could definitely see it in my future. Yeah, exactly. Because that's the, that's the thing. We're going through this time and it was interesting to learn the sense of control that something like this can provide during a quarantine, for example. Is it fair to say that if we do, you know, get on the other side without a hair disaster, that even attempting a DIY haircut can actually be good for us psychologically. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's what I was interested in was what was spurring people everywhere to buzz their hair, to dye it purple, to make these really drastic changes. And I think a lot of that goes into we're in this really disorienting time. And this is something that's right in front of us. We see it every day and we can control it. It's also like hair is never just hair. Hair is like so tied up in how we express ourselves and our identity. You know, I wrote a little bit about how in the military, they buzz new recruits hair to make them feel like they're part of the unit. So there's just a lot of emotions that are kind of bound up in all this hair in our head. Yeah, it's so more important than we ever realize. And I think, you know, going back to how emotional we can get, that's a, that's a thing too, how it really can have this rippling emotional effect on who we are and, and how we present ourselves. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they've, they've done not exactly the most rigorous scientific studies on this, but certain polls show, you know, a lot of women cry after they get a haircut they don't like. People feel super empowered um, and have high self-esteem when they have good hair. And so I think that making adjustments, even in quarantine, when so much feels out of our control, um, we can have this little boost um, that can really turn the day around. Right, exactly. So we've had the heart to heart. We're ready to just do it. When we are, first thing that we have to consider is a partner in crime who can help really can make this tumultuous affair a little easier. Yeah. So that's something that I think is really was surprising to me when I was reporting was it's really hard to cut your own hair. You have to kind of shift your shoulder back, like contort yourself in these odd positions to try and make it even. And what the hairstylist told me is you hardly ever get it right. So it might be a little bit scary or daunting to give someone else the scissors, but that's going to give you, you know, a much better result in the end. Interesting. And to that, you know, it'd be nice to have those salon grade scissors at our disposal. I doubt many people do. What should we try to get our hands on for this operation? I mean, safe to say that obviously whatever's in our kitchen or desk draw might do more harm than good, right? Yeah. You don't want to use your kitchen scissors or um, your kid's scissors that they use for crafting. You want to use like haircutting scissors, thinning shears. But the thing that they all kind of reminded me was maybe this is a good time to make a hair mistake. You know, it's not the end of the world. Your hair will grow. Um, and maybe you have less of an audience on your Zoom call than you would going out into the world every day. And in, you know, in the interest of proceeding with caution here, 
how can we cut our hair easiest as if to avoid those meltdowns that we talked about? Wet versus dry, for example, how can we make this easier? Yeah. So this is something that the hairstylist kind of harped on is that your hair expands when it dries. So if you cut it soaking wet um, and say you cut your bangs exactly where you want them, it'll, they'll puff up and get shorter as they dry. So you want to cut it while it's dry so that you can actually see what it looks like in reality. And that's something that one of the hairstylists stylist does even when it's not pandemic times or they're not cutting it themselves. You know, that's what they do in their hair salon. And let's just say, you know, it does go wrong. Like you said, the worst that can happen is maybe a a Zoom call meeting. That's a little awkward. But quarantine circumstances don't exactly force us to overexpose ourselves. And if anything, maybe that can be, again, like what we talked about, another learning experience during this lockdown, all all for the psychological good here. Yeah, well, and I think something that especially psychologists spoke to me about is maybe this is a time to let yourself go. Could be liberating. You know, we this is an opportunity maybe for reinvention but also realizing you might not have to curl your hair every day or keep it super polished. You know, you can relax a little bit about your aesthetics. It's a good place to leave it. Thanks for the chat, Allie. Thanks, Tanya. While harnessing a sense of control can help calm our nerves, carbohydrates can provide a sense of relief because their chemical composition Now, the benefits of eating carbs in times of ongoing stress. What's the soup of the day, Mom? Bread. And the soup of the day is bread. I can't go to Taco Bell. I'm on an all-carb diet. Can you stop you gonna eat your tots? Can't stop eating. Is butter a carb? Our new lives, in a nutshell, and yes, still a carb. Although you've probably added some butter to your carbs, some extra dressing to your carbs, and plenty of sauce to your growing plate of carbs. Despite what any keto craze managed to accomplish, these days carbo-loading has become all the rage. Quarantining in uncertain times has sparked coping habits into gear, and nothing helps us cope better than comfort food. The kind of comfort you just can't get out of a protein shake. Dr. Eva Selhub, former instructor of medicine at Harvard Medical School, tells Inverse specifically that anything that challenges our state of balance is deemed a stress. This could be hunger or even wanting to understand something better. Here, Dr. Selhub explains how stress affects our natural instincts and forces us to cope. Distress phase, which only the body might be aware of and not your brain, you will tap into the habits that you've always tapped into, the thought processes, the physical aspects of your life, the emotional and what have you, to tap in to help you cope. It turns out carbohydrates are the natural source for these coping cravings as they activate the same dopamine reward centers in the brain as other coping habits. There's plenty at play psychologically as well. Eating our feelings essentially scratches many psychological itches from triggering old sense memories of, say, Sunday pasta dinners or feeling a sense of control in how much you eat or how much you have to eat. Ultimately, we're all sharing pasta, cake, and bread recipes these days far more than we're reaching for any low-carb power bars. And it turns out that's no accident. Here to help us understand why we can't seem to stop reaching for that extra helping of sugar, she wrote all about it for Inverse, 
and she's joining us now, Sophia Qualia. How's it going, Sophia? I'm good. Thanks. How are you? I'm good. I'm I'm eating a lot. Um, are you as well? And and if so, what seems to be your comfort food of, of choice these days? Yeah, well, I'm I'm a big fan of um, cereal, and I've been making a lot of pasta. I'm I'm Italian as well, so like pasta is my go-to. I just have sauce all over the fridge. It's great. It is. My my carb of choice comes in the form of pizza, and I have every frozen offering in my freezer. You know, that is to say that's, that's what a lot of us are doing. We're indulging and um, not apologizing for it. And you were kind of able to get to the bottom of why, because it's clear that human beings definitely take to this specific coping mechanism in times of crisis. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, the, the first thing is like the idea kind of came from the fact that we were all sharing recipes, even in the team in the newsroom, we were just like, oh, why don't you make this pasta? Why don't you make that pasta? So then I asked three nutritional experts about like, it, is there a psychological reason we do this? Is it a physical reason? Why is it that pasta, pizza, pancakes are our go-to? And they said... Um, that it's, it's a bit of both. It's like both psychological and both physical, both because of what the carbs actually do to our body and the hormones that they release, um, and how they help our brain connect with, um, positive, happy hormones like serotonin. But it's also tied to kind of both evolution and the psychology of like how good it feels to smell something that smells delicious or um, be in the kitchen planning ahead and cooking with your family. So it's a bit of both. I'm sorry you said pancakes and I got triggered. Uh, But again, there's a lot of chemistry happening, especially on a biological level. Can you actually put that into some context? Yeah, of course. So basically, um, once you eat carbs, they, this is also a very simplified version, but once you eat carbs, they trigger kind of the increase of insulin in your blood. And that, um, boosts, um, one specific protein in the brain that kind of signals to an increase in serotonin, um, which, which is the happiness hormone. So I had Nancy Cohen, who is a professor at university of Massachusetts, kind of walk me through the science And she was explaining how the brain uses this one protein called tryptophan um, to kind of synthesize the neurotransmitter serotonin. Um, And so that's what kind of regulates our mood, makes us feel good. And that's basically the chemical reason that the carbs make us feel so good. It's actual like science in our brains and bodies. See, you can't blame us half the time. Um, But getting back to the psychology, you started to kind of get into it. But, you know, things that trigger us, smelling food can, you know, trigger memories. We connect through food. There's a lot at play psychologically. Um, Again, a lot going on in our brain as we shovel in these carbs. I spoke to a nutritional counselor called Evelyn Tribole, and she walked me through, let's say, five, four things that um, kind of really psychologically resonate with us when we think about carbs. One of them is kind of the smell of um, food cooking. So it's spaghetti sauce or brownies or when you're baking a cake, all of that kind of smells delicious. And that experiencing is something very grounding that puts you in the moment, um, that makes you use your senses. And so that in itself has a calming effect. Then also there's the fact that Food is basically a source of connection, right? I don't know. Um, maybe it's not across the board, but for example, like in my family, we we used to really sit down, have meals together. It was a big part of the process, like cooking together, mm-hmm. kind of a positive aspect of food. And then there's also just the fact that like right now, especially with um, everything that's happening 
um, with coronavirus, the fact that we go to the shop and the shop, the aisles are like barren, the, the shelves are empty of basic food, cooking carbs that last you for a long time, that give you a lot of energy, having a lot of pasta in the fridge is helpful both for planning ahead. So kind of like setting a schedule that makes you um, live in the moment and have a plan and feel grounded. But it's also helpful to avoid that fear of scarcity because it's really triggering when you go to the fridge and the fridge is empty and you don't have any food, you don't have any source of energy and you need to go out and shop when you know that right now you're supposed to be staying at home. So that's very like tied to the coronavirus situation as well. Well, your piece certainly made me feel a little better about the eating I was doing. So thank you for that. Listeners can get the full story at inverse.com. Sophia, thanks so much as I eye that pizza in my toaster oven. Thank you. I'm going to go make pasta. (laughs) Head to inverse.com to read more about how science is changing what we know and how we manage in times of crisis. You can click on the link in the show notes for that story and all others we talked about today. If you agree science and facts matter more than ever, give us a rating and review on iTunes to help more people find The Abstract and other podcasts like it. New episodes of The Abstract are released three times a week. Find old episodes and more original programming on science, innovation, culture, entertainment, and more at inverse.com. Look for The Abstract Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or whichever podcast app you use. For Inverse, I'm Tanya Bustos. Thanks for listening.